This last Sunday morning, last week, last Lord's Day, we began a sermon mini-series on the Lord's Church, the Church of Christ that we see in Scripture. And we discussed how faithful churches of Christ are completely unique in today's religious landscape. In fact, that served as our title last week. This morning, I want to continue with that sermon mini-series. And it is entitled, What is the Church of Christ? Defining, Describing, and Discovering the Lord's Church and Her Heavenly Heritage, Part 1. You know, it's no great newsflash to any of us that things are not always what they appear to be, that things are not always what they're advertised as being. We think about this in both the spiritual world as well as the natural world. Consider with me for a moment in the natural world. You know, in the world of nature, if you watch some of these shows on TV, underwater and exploration and all of that, a lot of these underwater predators, especially of the smaller type, will often disguise themselves or they have this natural disguise where they look like rocks or they look like coral or they look like sticks. And it's hard to distinguish exactly what they are to those that they prey on. This is true as well in the world of consumerism. Things are not always what they seem. In fact, I know that you can buy a little, for those of you that want to be really macho, you can buy these little plastic insignias that say four by four and put them on your two-wheel drive just so it'll look like, you know, it's a, it's a bigger thing than it actually is. I've known those sorts of things. Anyway, things are not always what they appear. Things are not always what they're advertised. If you wanted to, you can buy a Ford insignia and put it on a Chevy or a Dodge insignia and put it on a Toyota. But you know, that doesn't change what those vehicles actually are. Just because you put a Dodge insignia on a Toyota or vice versa, that doesn't make it one. Doesn't make it one. Each of those vehicles have very distinct origins and elements that differentiate them one from another. This same truth that things are not always what they would appear to be or always what they're advertised as or always what they seem to be is also extremely apparent and incredibly important in the spiritual world as well, especially for those of us who want to go to heaven. For example, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. What was Jesus saying? He was saying they're not going to be what they appear to be to the human eye. Deceptive. They're something other than what they're advertised as. Again, Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 11, during the days leading up to the tribulation and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., he said, Many false prophets would rise up and deceive many. And again, there would be these false prophets that would put forth that they were something that they were actually not, would deceive a lot of people. We could also consider that the apostles so many times, whether we're talking about Peter or Paul or John, all of them in one form or another talked about either false teachers, false religion, deception, deceivers, antichrists, who would actually be nowhere near what they appeared to be to the human eye. In fact, the Apostle Paul went so far in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, as to say this. He said, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself, Paul wrote, 
transformed himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. What was Paul saying? Don't be fooled. They're not what they would appear to be or what they would have you believe they are. No, brethren, things are not always what they seem. Whether we're talking about a 4x4 insignia on a two-wheel drive or we're talking about a Ford insignia on a Kia or we're talking about any of these other things, especially from the spiritual world, and whether we're talking about wolves in sheep's clothing or whether we're talking about a spirit of error masquerading as a spirit of truth. So you and I must continually sharpen, hone, and, and develop this spirit of discernment, as Paul calls it in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, the spirit of discernment that can tell the difference. As we think about these things, you know, in the world of American consumerism, and copyrights, and registered trademarks, it's pretty easy to recognize an institution by its name, because they can't steal each other's names. It's pretty easy to tell a McDonald's from a Sonic. They can't pilfer the registered trademark. But you know, it's not as easy in the world of religion where trademarks, if it were to be, that term were to be used, where trademarks or terms of recognition can't be copyrighted. In other words, we cannot copyright the term Church of Christ. If you Google it, just that term, if you look it up, I believe you'll get all kinds of different churches. You might get the Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints, a religious group that was started by Joseph Smith in the 1830s in America. If you were to Google just Church of Christ, you might get some references come up to the Church of Christ Scientist, which was a religious group started by Mary Baker Eddy in New England in the 1860s. And you know, even the term by itself, Church of Christ, can be misleading. Many of you who've traveled have come to understand that just because it says Church of Christ out front doesn't necessarily mean it is that by God's definition. Jesus promised to build only one church, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. However, sadly today, there are a lot of so-called churches of Christ that don't fit God's definition of what his church is. There are all kinds of so-called churches of Christ who claim all sorts of different and contradicting doctrines and beliefs, heritages, which we're going to talk about next Sunday morning, heritages and histories, practices and perspectives. I remember I was speaking in Taunton, Massachusetts many years ago and went into the little bookstore that they had there at the seminar and I got this little trifold pamphlet and it said that the Church of Christ is a religious organization started in the 1800s by Barton W. Stone in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. First thing I did when I stood up in front of that group was I showed them the trifold. I probably didn't make any friends with the people at the bookstore, but what are you going to do? Stood up with the trifold and said, this trifold says that the Church of Christ was started by Barton, uh, by Barton W. Stone in Cane Ridge, Kentucky in 1801. If that's the Church of Christ you came here to hear a seminar about, you're in the wrong place, because this seminar is about the Church of Christ that was started on the day of Pentecost in 33 AD, when Peter opened up the Lord's Church, the way the Bible says. 
But yet you will have some churches of Christ, or at least the sign out front that says, in their way of thinking that we were started in America around 1801. And so the question is, how can we know? How can, young people, how can you know? As you travel off to college and to different places, older folks, as you go to vacation, how can we know exactly, without any doubt whatsoever, which church is truly the Lord's church? How can we know for a fact that it is the church that Jesus promised to establish in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18? Because we certainly can't go just simply by the name out front or necessarily by the claims inside. What and which exactly is the church of Christ which Jesus, <coughs> Jesus the King, Jesus the Lord, Jesus the head of that church himself recognizes and claims as his church? Well, when you want to know what something is, when you want to know how to recognize something based on its composition, what do you do? Well, you typically go to an authority. If you hear a term or you want to know what something is based on its composition, you want to know what it is or what it's supposed to be like, you go to an authority for definition. That's what you typically do. Some of you might go to Google, Siri, or for some of us older folks that prefer paper still. <laughs> you might go to a dictionary, you might go to an encyclopedia. In order to get a definition or a description or an explanation of, of this thing. And the problem is that while Google and Siri and all of these other resources, dictionaries, encyclopedias, while those are fine for giving us a definition of man-made institutions or inventions because those resources are man-made themselves, they usually don't do too good a job when it comes to giving us the correct definition for spiritual institutions. Defining spiritual institutions is certainly best left up to the creator who originated, instituted, and insisted upon those spiritual institutions. As God said in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. <laughs> As I read that about the Lord's ways being higher, I guess you could say that the Lord was the first one to communicate in high definition. In other words, to give us definitions from on high because his ways are so much higher than ours are. And the difference between God's perfect high definition and some of our perverted human definitions can be seen when it comes to almost any sacred institution. For example, think about this. Think about the institution of marriage. Man's human definition, at least according to one resource, the Merriam-Webster's free online dictionary, their definition, their human definition of marriage is two parts. Part number one. The state of being united to a person of the opposite sex as husband or wife in a consensual and contractual relationship recognized by law. That is their definition. However, 
We know that not every marriage recognized by the law of the land is necessarily recognized by the law of the Lord because Jesus said in Matthew 19 and verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. We see that the law of the land and the law of God are often different. But here's part two of Merriam-Webster's online dictionary's definition of the institution of marriage. Number two, the state of being united to a person of the same sex in a relationship like that of a traditional marriage. And as we read that, we see that while men may write and believe in a humanly devised definition of something like a homosexual union as an acceptable marriage, God's definition is not that. And we understand that God's definition of homosexuality is still that it is an abomination. That it is a sin that will cost those who continue to persist in it their eternal souls. We know that. God's definition and Merriam-Webster's definition are very different. And this is why those who truly love the Lord and want to go to heaven simply cannot, dare not, and will not trust their eternal souls to flawed human definitions. We cannot trust our eternal souls to flawed human definitions of spiritual institutions. People who want to go to heaven, who trust only the Lord, also know and understand that marriage is not the only divine institution that man has messed up and completely perverted the definition of. Another one is the church, the Lord's church, the one church that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we see congregations of in Romans 16 and verse 16, depending on who you ask and where you look it up and all those things you might hear. Men's definition of the church of Christ, just that term church of Christ, are so diverse and in some cases perverse as calling it everything from a cult-like sect, churches of Christ have been called a cult-like sect, to a religious movement begun by Alexander Campbell and Barton W. Stone in America in the 1800s, to quote the segregated, divided, and denominated religious world of Christendom at large. These are some of the ways that men define the Church of Christ. And every one of those definitions is wrong, dead wrong, flawed, why? Because you've got human beings giving a human definition of a divinely planned and originated institution. The Lord's church was in the mind of God before the beginning of time, Ephesians 3, 8 through 11. See, for those who love and trust the Lord alone, there's only one definition of the church that matters. That's God's definition. God's definition, God's high definition picture of his son's church is the only definition that matters. The authority that we must go to that knows everything about the Lord's church is the Lord's word. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? God's sacred spiritual dictionary. That is the only definition that we dare trust. I guess you could say that in the text, God was also the first one to send a flawless, and the only one to send a flawless, but certainly the first text message ever sent was God as well. And he sent it through his hand-picked human satellites, John 17, 20 through 21. So what is God's high definition 
or definition from on high. God is the authority on his church. What does his definition say? How does he define what a church of Christ is? Because again, his definition is the only one that counts. He begins with giving us a high definition picture of the foundation. Turn with me to Matthew 16. If you want to know what the church of Christ truly is, go to the authority. Go to God's dictionary to define this spiritual institution. This is how God defines it. We begin in Matthew chapter 16 at verse 13, where it says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them the most important question you will ever be asked in your lifetime, but who do you say that I am? Who you say Jesus Christ is, is the most important statement you will ever make. It is the most important question you will ever be asked. Because if you do not understand that he is Lord Christ, Redeemer, the Son of God, if you do not understand that, it will have eternal implications. And so he asked them, who do you say that I am? Verse 15, and Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, this rock, this confession of understanding who I am, this recognition like I recognize you, Peter, you recognize who I am, that is the rock upon which I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, and I'll give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom, or the keys of the church. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Brethren, this is the rock-solid foundation of the Lord's church. This is God's definition of the foundation, the bedrock. Every member of Christ's church must first come to the full understanding of exactly who Jesus Christ is as the Son of the living God before they can ever become part of his church. They must understand and acknowledge and revere and respect that he alone is the son of the living God. And that as such, it is Jesus Christ who has all authority. People have to understand that before they become a member of his church. He's the king. We're the subjects. He's the Lord. We're the followers. He's the son of God. He has all authority, not us. People need to understand it is his word which must be understood and taught and obeyed at all costs and not their word. He's king. He's the son of God. People must understand it is his terms and conditions that must be honored and obeyed for entrance into his church. You can find a lot of churches today that have a lot of different terms of entrance. Well, this is how you become a member of this church or that church. Doesn't matter. If you want to become part of Jesus' church, you've got to understand Jesus is the Son of God and he's calling the shots and what he says goes, period. Flat out. This isn't even up for discussion. That's the point that Peter makes. Or that's the point that Jesus makes. Because he is the Son of the living God, as Peter said, it is therefore Christ's desires and preferences that matter and must be performed in worship. When it comes to worship in his church, it's got to be worship the way he wants it. It's got to be according to what Jesus said and Jesus defined and Jesus wants. Because it's his church. <coughs> we must understand that he is indeed 
Son of God, and that as such, when he says things like, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4, that's exactly how it's got to be. No exceptions, no exemptions, no editorials. And brethren, that means that no court, no college, no congregation, or any of their human leadership has any right or authority whatsoever under any circumstances in any age to alter, to change, to challenge, to contradict, or to seek to counteract Christ's commandments. If you want to know one of the greatest defining marks of Christ's true church, one of the greatest ways that we can tell exactly whether or not that a church of Christ is truly one that he recognizes as his church is that they submit to his lordship in everything. That's it. They do it his way. Look with me in Colossians chapter 1. Look in God's divine dictionary at another part of the definition of the church that God considers his son's church. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Everything I've just said is wrapped up in these few verses. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. He, that means Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he, watch this, he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. Those are all singular. He is the head. There's only one head of the church, Jesus Christ. He's the head of his church. He is the head of his body, which is the church. That's why when the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, there's one body, it means there's one church. You say, well, there's a lot of churches today. Well, I understand that, but God only recognizes his one. And we're trying to find out how to recognize that one church as well. <coughs> he is before all things, the firstborn from the dead, verse 18, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So as we look at these churches of Christ, as we look at the church of Christ defined in scripture, we see that it's submission to the Lord and his word is what identifies it as a true church of Christ. So. Okay, let's talk about some of the other parts of the definition so we can know for sure. Turn to me to Acts 2. Familiar passage. Most of you can probably quote it, but please turn there anyway. Humor me. We've already seen where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 that Peter would have the keys to the kingdom, the keys to the church. Peter would open up the church. And if we were to read Acts 2, we would see that Peter did indeed open up the church after his gospel sermon in verses 38 through 41 when they asked what to do. Peter tells them how to be saved. And at that day about 3,000 of them were baptized. And it says in verse 47, and God added them to the church or added to the church daily those being saved the way it's just been outlined. According to the divine definition given in scripture, God's church, the church of Christ, according to God's definition, 
can easily be identified by the fact that in accordance with the promise of Jesus, it began on the day of Pentecost when Peter opened it up and he bound repentance and baptism specifically as terms of entry. Therefore, any church which has a different head, a different beginning date, a different founder, a different first preacher, a different first location other than Jerusalem, Isaiah 2, 2 and 3, or a different set of requirements is not the Lord's church, not according to Doug, but according to the definition right here in God's dictionary. God has defined exactly what the church is. He's the authority. God's had the church in mind, his son's church, since before time began. We could move on, Acts 2, and look at verse 42. It says, And they, that is that church, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They didn't, hundreds of years later, follow somebody else. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. What, what the apostles wrote right here in, in, this, in this book, right here. Therefore, any church which is not following the apostles' doctrine as laid down in the scriptures is not the Lord's church, according to the Lord's definition, not God's. Because he's the authority. Turn to me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, just so there's no confusion, as you travel, or some of you younger folks wondering why we do certain things, we don't do them as a matter of preference, we do them as a matter of this is what God said, thus saith the Lord, it is written. That's why we do them. It's not our tradition, it's not our preference philosophy, it's simply God said. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. It's not about men versus women. It's not about because us old fogies want to keep the women quiet. I dare say that in any congregation of the Lord's people, that if you put all the ladies together and all the men together, most of them I've served in, if you put all the ladies' knowledge together, they probably know more scripture and know more application than their husbands do as a group. It's not what this is about. As you travel, somebody say, well, you're from that church that, that keeps women, no, no, no. I'm a member of that church which says if God comes right out and says this is a command of the Lord, that it does not matter if God says I've got to paint my head blue with yellow stripes around the back of my neck. You know, if God said that, what I'm doing, I'm looking for paint. Why? Because he's Lord. It doesn't have to make sense. To me, it doesn't make sense that I can get in a tank of water and all the bad stuff that I have ever done is gone off of God's eternal record. Does that make sense to anybody? But you know, I know it's a fact because God said so, and I am so grateful to God that he did. Isn't God awesome? But that's his way. That's his high-definition picture. Therefore, any church which encourages, advocates, or even allows women preachers and elders and some of these things we see is not the Lord's church according to his own definition. Turn to me to 2 Timothy 3. 
This is God's definition of his church. Where else would you go to look for definition of his church? He's the one that put it together. 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out. Look what he says. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. You preach the word whether people want to hear it or not. You preach it when it's popular and you preach it when it ain't popular. You do it in season and out. You correct, you rebuke, you exhort, you tell people when they're wrong. Preach the word. Therefore, any church which does not do that is not the Lord's church according to the Lord's definition. We can look at so many others, but I only want to look at that we can do this all day. Turn with me to the final two. Look in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 12 through 15. Look what it says. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Does he leave any doubt here what needs to be done? Absolutely not. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. That's the definition of what the church looks like in the eyes of God. And if we, or any church of Christ that calls themselves that, is, are not the loving and forgiving followers of this, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, working together, overlooking faults, love covers a multitude of sins. If we're not putting on loves at, love and, and being at peace, that we're together and being thankful, then any church that doesn't do that, in the Lord's church, according to the Lord's definition, we could go on and look in verses 16 and 17 as well right here, where it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Whatever you do, word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. By his authority, that means giving thanks. This is why if you have a place that's got Church Christ sign out front, and they're using instruments instead of singing or instruments to accompany their singing, according to God's definition of what the church is, they ain't it. Just what it says. You know, I heard a story once. They call a horse's tail a leg. How many legs does a horse have? Still has four. Because no matter what you call the tail, it's still a tail. Names and terms can be deceptive. Like placing a Peterbilt insignia on front of a Polaris or a Kenworth insignia on front of a Kawasaki, or putting a steakhouse sign in front of a Sonic. <laughs> you can post all the Church of Christ signs around in front of your building and on your website that you want. You can list yourself as a Church of Christ and call yourself that all you want until Judgment Day, and you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool God and his well-informed people any of the time. Folks, the Church of Christ, as God defines it, is what we want to be. God's made clear what the definition is. There's no question. 
Any church which does not fit his definition of his church is not his church. And, and I, again, I'm not being mean. I'm just, if the Bible is our authority, and it is, and it tells me that Jesus is the Son of God, then I only have one option. Jesus is the Son of God, right? If he tells me what the church is, his son's church, who has all authority, then I've got to go by the dictionary, the divine dictionary definition he gives me. And if Jesus were here today, is there any reason to doubt? He might say, in describing those who want to call themselves his church, but yet who are totally different than what his high definition depicts, might he say, these people honor me with their signs and websites, but their hearts are far from me. Teaching his doctrines the commandments of men which contradict mine, in vain do they worship me? Matthew 15, 7 through 9, slightly adapted. And brethren, I'm not seeking to be harsh or judgmental, but our young people need to know why we do what we do. They need to understand that God has a definition for his church, and he is the authority. And anything that does not fit God's definition for his church is not his church. That's not mean or harsh. That's just honest and scriptural. The words of Jesus will judge us on the last day, John 12 and verse 48. Therefore, we've got to listen to him. May we here in Shoto Hills always continue the spiritual legacy that began here decades ago and faithful men and women of God who understood God's definition, made sure that the rest of the congregation did as well. May we always continue that legacy that they started. What about you this morning? If you're here, you're not a part of Christ's one original New Testament church. His saved group of people as he defined it in his dictionary, his all authoritative dictionary. We'd love to have you become part of this church, part of the one we see right here, part of that church of Christ that God adds you to, Acts 2 and verse 47, upon your repentance, turning your life fully over to God in his word, fully over, and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and rising to walk in newness of life, a life that says, you're God and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to worship the way you want. I'm going to live the way you want. I'm going to walk the way you want. I am going to study the way you want. I'm going to tell people the way you want. You are my king, and I will follow you in worship and always. Question as we close this morning. Who are you willing to trust your eternal soul to? Man and his definitions of church or salvation process or whatever? Or God's definition? Whose definition of church, worship, and salvation are you willing to trust your eternal life to? The descriptions you see in God's dictionary, the Bible, or those you can't find in here, but you have to go to a man-made resource to find. Choice is yours. If you'll be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and let God add you to his church, please come to the front right now. We stand in as we sing.